Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Educating Investors podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Characteristics of Bear Markets. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this week's topic, I will discuss what is a bear market and characteristics associated with bear markets. At the end, I hope to have given the listeners a better understanding of a bear market. I think a good place to begin would be actually to discuss the difference between a correction and a bear market. So what is a correction? A correction is a decline of 10% to 20% in the price of a security, asset, or a financial market. Corrections can last anywhere from days to months or even longer. Corrections are normal parts of market cycles. As a matter of fact, if you look at domestic and international stock market indexes, these markets average a correction every year. According to J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Market, over the last 39 years, the S&P 500 has averaged an intra-year decline of 13.9%, but annual returns were positive in 29 of those 39 years. If you look at the small cap Russell 2000 index, it has averaged an intra-year decline of 18.5% over the last 39 years, with annual returns being positive in 26 of those 39 years. Finally, the EFA index, which stands for the Europe, Australia, and Far East index, which is a foreign developed stock market index, has averaged intra-year drops of 15%, with annual returns being positive in 29 of those 39 years. So the key is to stick to your personalized asset allocation based on your financial plans by rebalancing the portfolio as necessary to get through corrections. Now that we've discussed what a correction is, let us go over what a bear market is. A bear market is a decline of 20% or greater in the price of a security, asset, or financial market from a recent high. Since 1926, the S&P 500 has gone through 12 bear markets. So the markets don't average a bear market decline in every year. If we look at what U.S. bull markets and bear markets look like from 1926 through September of 2019, the average bull market period lasted 6.6 years with an average cumulative total return of 335%. The average bear market period lasted 1.3 years with an average cumulative loss of negative 38%. So over the long term, markets tend to be up more than they are down. But in order to get the long-term average return, investors must be invested through all cycles. So now let's discuss four characteristics associated with bear markets. The first one being recessions. For this podcast, we will define as two quarters of negative GDP. Second one being commodity spikes. The third one being aggressive central bank policy. And finally, the fourth one being excessive valuations. Let's start with characteristic number one, which is a recession. A number of indicators are available that have been pretty successful in predicting the probability of a recession coming. I discussed these indicators in episode one of this podcast titled, Is This Time Different? For a more detailed discussion of what a recession is and the indicators of a possible recession, I would highly recommend listening to that episode of this podcast. The first and one of the most popular recession indicators is the inverted yield curve. An inversion occurs when some or all of the yield curve ceases to be upward sloping. This occurs when short-dated yields are higher than longer-dated ones. 
Any inversion of the yield curve tells the same story, an expectation of weaker growth in the future. Yield curve inversions is a classic signal of a looming recession. For the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to use the 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield curve, which is the yield curve that the Fed tends to look at. The 10-year, 3-month U.S. Treasury yield curve inverted for the first time since 2007 on March 22nd of this year. It has been inverted pretty consistently since May 23rd. Over the last 50 years, the median span between inversion and recession start is 12 months, with a range of anywhere between 5 to 16 months. The Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York have recession indicators based on the 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield curve. The Cleveland Fed recession indicator was recently updated on September 26, and it showed a 37.9% probability of a recession in the next year. This was down from 44.1% probability in August. This indicator has predicted each of the last seven recessions with a few false positives in 1966 and 1998. Nothing is foolproof. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York's recession indicator is also based on the same 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield spread. It was updated as of September 4th and currently showed a 38% probability of a recession in the next year. That is the highest level it has risen to since October of 2007 when it was 37.07%. Again, according to the NBER, the Great Recession started in December of 2007. A reading above 30% has receded all recent recessions. The measure has breached the 30% threshold before every recession since 1960. Even with the recent pullback in these indicators, both of these are at levels that have been associated with an increased possibility of a recession occurring in the next year. Another indicator of recessions has to do with Federal Reserve tightening cycles. So what is a tightening cycle or tight monetary policy? Tight monetary policy is a course of action undertaken by a central bank, such as the Federal Reserve, to slow down an overheated economy or to curb inflation when it's rising too fast. An example of tightening policy occurred in December of 2018 when the Federal Reserve raised the Fed funds rate. David Rosenberg, chief economist and strategist with Gluskin Chef, pointed out since 1950 there have been 13 cycles when the Fed tightened interest rates, and 10 of them ended in recession. The three, three times where rate hikes did not lead to recessions were due to the Fed stopping short of the inverted geo curve. Also, Recessions have generally come after the Fed has finished hiking rates in a tightening cycle, not while they're in the process of raising rates. They raised the Fed funds rate in December of 2018, but the Fed cut rates in July and September, and the Fed funds futures currently show a 75% probability of them cutting rates again by October. So we just finished the tightening cycle, and recessions tend to occur after they have ended, so both of these in indicators have occurred. However, there are also a few recession indicators that have not triggered as of yet. The first indicator of recessions that have not triggered yet has to do with the leading economic index, also known as LEI, which is put out by the conference board on a monthly basis. The index is a combination of 10 sub-indicators, all of which tend to lead the overall economy. This indicator has never failed to roll over in advance of a recession starting. Historically, the average is 13 months from the LEI peak and it rolling over to the start of a recession. However, this indicator has not hit its peak and rolled over as of yet. 
And finally, I would like to discuss the proprietary indicator from Jeffrey Gunlack, founder of Double Line Capital, which is an investment firm. He looks at the current U3 unemployment rate, and if it is higher than the 36-month moving average, then recessions are likely. The current U3 unemployment rate is not higher than the 36-month moving average as of yet, so this indicator at this time is not calling for a recession. So when we take a look at these recession indicators as a whole, it seems that the probability of a possible recession in the next year or so looks to be pretty high. But to repeat an earlier statement, it's very hard to predict a recession and when it will actually occur. So let us move on to the second characteristic of bear market, which is commodity spikes. If you look at the Dow Jones Commodity Index of Industrial Metals, that has been falling since June of 2018. If you look at the individual industrial commodities such as oil, steel, and copper, they all have been falling as well. So when we take a look at commodity price spikes, the data does not show any as it represents the industrial commodities. So this characteristic is not currently present in regards to bear market indication. The third characteristic of bear markets is aggressive central bank policy. If we were to have looked at this characteristic a year ago, we would probably would have come to a different conclusion. If you remember back to 2018, the Federal Reserve was in the middle of a tightening cycle where the Fed was on course to raise the Fed funds rate a quarter percent four times in 2018, with the last ending in December. The European Central Bank was in the process of ending its quantitative easing in December as well. At that time, there was thought that the European Central Bank would start to consider raising its policy rates by the summer of 2019. However, December would be the beginning of a change in monetary policies as the markets had a rough fourth quarter. By June of this year, the Fed would cut rates by a quarter percent and end the roll-off of their balance sheet early. They would cut rates again in September by a quarter percent, and currently there's about a 75% probability based on Fed fund futures of another quarter percent in October. The European Central Bank in September cut their policy rate into further negative territory down to a negative 0.5% from a negative 0.4% and also restarted quantitative easing, which they had just ended in December. The Bank of Japan kept policies on hold in September, but there are hints that they may look to ease policy further in October. And according to data from Bloomberg, since the last rate hike by the Fed in December of last year, there have been 95 global central bank rate cuts, with the U.S., Hong Kong, Brazil, and China being the most recent countries to cut rates. So aggressive monetary policy has changed in the course of a year to very easy monetary policy around most of the world. So this characteristic is no longer present as well. Finally, the last characteristic that tends to occur around bear markets is excessive valuations. If we start by looking at the U.S. in terms of valuations on the S&P 500, we see that quite a few valuation metrics are showing the S&P 500 to be slightly overvalued. According to the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Market, the current forward P.E., cyclically adjusted P.E., also known as CAPE, price to book, and price to cash flow for the S&P 500 are higher than the 25-year average. This is currently happening with a backdrop of earnings growth that has been slowing this year. According to FactSet, for the third quarter of 2019, the estimated earnings decline currently for the S&P 500 is a negative 3.7%. If the negative 3.7% is the actual decline for the quarter, it will mark the first time the index has reported three straight quarters of year-over-year -year earnings decline 
since Q4 2015 through Q2 of 2016. Also, forward earning growth estimates have been falling as well. According to your Denny research as of October 2nd, estimated earnings growth for all of 2019 is expected to be 1.9%, with 2020 estimated at 10.5%. Just for reference back to December of 2018, estimated earnings growth for 2019 was 7.9%. In terms of international equities, the EFA index current forward PE is 13.9 times, while the emerging market is 12 times. So in comparison with the S&P 500, both of these areas are trading at cheaper valuations based on forward PEs. Earnings growth has been slowing internationally as well. Currently for the EFA index, estimated earnings growth for 2019 is 0.6% and 2020, 8.2%. On December 20th of 2018, EFA estimated earnings growth for 2019 was 6.5%. And if we look at the emerging market earnings growth estimates, which are currently 2.2% for 2019 and 13.5% for 2020, in December of last year, emerging market estimated earnings growth for 2019 was 9.3%. So U.S. markets represented by the S&P 500 are slightly overvalued based on historical metrics for valuations, while the international developed and emerging markets are trading at a lower valuation to the U.S. These equity markets are all being affected by slower earnings growth looking into the rest of the year and next year. So let's recap the characteristics that accompany a bear market. The first characteristic that we looked at was recessions. I think this is one that should be watched because a number of indicators are available that have been pretty successful in predicting the probability of a recession coming and are indicating the possibility of one in the next year, including the inverted yield curve. The second characteristic was commodity spikes. At this point, industrial commodity prices, including copper, oil, and steel, have been dropping, not spiking. So this characteristic is currently not present. Moving on to the third characteristic, which was aggressive central bank policy, if we would have looked at this last year, I believe you could have said the Federal Reserve Central Bank policy was aggressive based on them raising policy rates four times. But they and the rest of the world have implemented easier monetary policy this year with 95 global central bank rate cuts since the last Fed rate hike in December. So I believe currently at this time, there is no aggressive central bank policy in terms of tightening. And finally, the last characteristic of excessive valuations, if you look in terms of current valuation metrics on the S&P 500, I would say that the valuations are stretched, coinciding with slower earnings growth. Looking internationally, valuations are more reasonable, but earnings growth is slowing overseas as well, with much of it to do with current trade tensions and tariffs. So the probability of a recession and excessive valuations are bear market characteristics that are currently present. It is important to know that you don't need all of these factors to be present to have a bear market. For example, in the bear market that accompanied the great financial crisis, we had a recession, a commodity spike, an aggressive Fed policy, but no excessive valuation. During the tech bubble, we had a recession, an excessive valuation, but no commodity spike or aggressive Fed policy. I'm not predicting that a bear market is imminent, but again, I think it is important for investors to be educated in factors and characteristics that can cause bear markets to appear. This allows the investor to revisit their financial situation, 
to see if any changes are necessary to their asset allocation based on their financial plan. So while one can't avoid bear markets in investing, here are some things investors should do to get through all investment cycles. Number one, find a financial advisor who acts as a fiduciary that has the experience of working with investors through all investment cycles. A number of financial professionals sitting in the chair today don't have the experience or the ability to help you manage your portfolio through these different investment cycles, including bear markets, because they were not around when the last one happened. Start with reviewing your financial plan to make sure that the plan is appropriate to meet your long-term goals and needs with the least amount of risk. If you don't have a financial plan, work with an advisor to help you develop that plan. That advisor should be able to take the information from the plan to help build an appropriate asset allocation that is well diversified that can control the controllables to help make you successful. Second, work to keep your emotions out of play. Nobody is more emotional about their own money than you are. The number one reason why individual investors fail or have a hard time meeting their long-term financial goals and needs is because their emotions make them do the wrong things at the wrong time. Working with an advisor that can look at things objectively can help to make sure that you don't make these emotional mistakes that can affect the long-term viability of your plan being successful. Market returns over long time frames tend to be consistent, but the only way you can earn those consistent returns is to be invested with the appropriate allocation over the long term. It's time in the market, not timing the market, that will make investors successful. Finally, as I stated in previous podcasts, build a long-term relationship with an advisor who can work to educate you, your family, and friends over time. The more you learn, the more comfortable you will be in handling investing through all investment cycles. The education of investors is the one thing in this industry that is not commoditized. If an advisor isn't capable to take the time to educate you, but is also only interested in selling you a product, go find an advisor who can educate you This will make a big difference in your financial life because an educated investor equals a successful investor. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may also be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website, at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well to find my contact information and link to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investor podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investor Podcast, its host Scott Peterson, and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors Podcast show.